Look at the book of Malachi, and why I wanted to introduce it, and there is no recording of the first message, by the way, um, was really, I started thinking about, you know, why was there such a gap between, you know, God's last word to the Israelites, I guess, and then, you know, when John the Baptist came, I think it was about 400 years uh, between the end of that book of Malachi, which is the last one in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and, and, and it wasn't like the world just stopped. Amazing things were happening. There was Alexander the Great raiding everyone, building kingdoms, the Romans, um, and, and within Israel, the Maccabeans, which uh, were rebelling against all these things. The, the Greek language entered into Israel and they started to taking on the Greek names, which is why as you start to get into the New Testament, you'll see you know, people called Matthew and Luke and things like that in the Old Testament. The names are quite different. And there was a, a, a translation in Greek of the Old Testament. I can't really always say it right, but the Septuagint or something like that. <laughs> I always get that wrong. Um, so it was translated. And there's a big change in the world around the place. But it seemed as though there's this quietness from God to his people, the Jews, at the time. And I was like, why, why was it that there was such silence? Why was it that you know, God didn't seem to be speaking in the same way. There's no prophets rising up in Israel. I mean, 400 years is a really long time, right? Like, I think 50 years is long. That's how long I've been alive for. Now, that's actually quite a long time, but imagine 400 years. Imagine you coming to church, and then your kids coming to church, and their kids, and their kids, and their kids, and their kids, and God's not really speaking. It would be pretty disappointing, right? We'd be, we'd be wanting to hear God. And I was like, well, what did God actually have to say to these guys back then? And, and where does it maybe apply to us today? And really, what was the spirit of the age back then? What was going on? What was it that God was addressing in this last book to, to really try and capture the hearts of his people and, and bring them back to true worship of him? And um, as we go through it today, what we're going to be looking at is seven things that God actually... Uh, brought toward the people at that time, the charges of God, I guess, against the, the, uh, the Jews at the time. Like, this is what I'm seeing, and their response to it. So there's seven different things that we'll be looking at, not really going into detail in any one of them, but really looking at that response. What was the spirit of the age at the time? What was it that was driving the people? And is this somehow connected into the age that we live in? Is there something that we can learn from it? Um, and really, as we look at it, the, the, the word that in the King James that you'll see is when the people replied to God's charges is a word called wherein. Now, that word wherein, as we're not going to be reading that today in the verses that we read, but it's, it's very much of a what, how, when sort of thing to a, a response. And I remember... When I was young, there was an ad on TV for a certain beverage and, you know, this, this lovely lady, she's walking along, she hops in the spa, she's all relaxed. Next minute, her boyfriend does a big bomb into the spa and just throws water all over her and interrupts her beautiful, dreamy time and, and she looks at him and he goes, what? <laughs> you know, what? what? What did I do wrong? Incredulously, like, what? And this is sort of the, the attitude of the people at the time. And uh, actually, I think I got that yesterday. Uh, I was annoying my wife and I was like, what? I knew perfectly well what was annoying. But 
I, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't annoying. But, but you know how it is sometimes? You have this attitude within you or your kids when, when uh, I was a bit younger and we had our kids at school, whatever was the main, you know, response to anything <laughs> that you told them to do. Da, 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 da. Oh, whatever. Like, as if what you were saying didn't apply to them or their life. And, and so this is exactly the way the, the Israelites were responding to God at the time. So let's have a look at the verses throughout the book of Malachi. So uh, first of all, we've got chapter 1, verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? So how have you loved us, God? Uh, 1 verse 6. The Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, a son honours his father, a servant his, respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honour and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for you? 1 verse 7. The Lord of... Uh, sorry. <clears throat> 1 verse 7. Not there. Well, we best look it up then, hey? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask me, how have we defiled the sacrifices? Chapter 2, verse 17. Is that one there? Nope. All righty. Ah. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? Chapter 3, verse 7. The words of a priest's lips should preserve the knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong chapter there, aren't I? Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? And verse 8 of the same chapter... Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Again, there's that whole thing of when did we ever cheat you? Verse 13. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord, but you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? There's seven distinct announcements that God brought to the people, saying, this is how I've seen you acting and each response was very much like, but how, God? When did we do this, God? This charge doesn't really stick on us. He says, like, you haven't believed that I've loved you. And you're like, well, when? You know, well, how have you actually loved us? We, we want to know how. You've despised me, but wherein have we despised you, God? You polluted my older, but when did we do that, God? You've wearied me. How have we done that, God? 
He said, return to me, but it's like, but we've never gone away. You've robbed me, but how have we robbed you, God? You've spoken against me, but, but when did we do it, God? It shows the people in a hard light here that, that there seemed to be something in their heart and it wasn't as though they'd ever really gone to a place where they were like, we actually are not wanting to sacrifice you to God. We're not wanting to serve you. We're not wanting to worship you. But we're actually doing all of that. What had happened, the temple had been reset, people were coming to the temple, the sacrifices were being offered and all those sorts of things. So, so when God is starting to bring these charges against them, they're not saying, well, you know, we hate you, God, we want to live in open rebellion to you, but their heart is saying this, that actually, God, what you're saying is not true. We are fully self-satisfied in what we're doing. We are so satisfied with our worship to you, we're so satisfied that we believe in you, we are so satisfied that we are carrying out everything that you're requiring us to do, why are you even asking us that question? Why are you asking us those questions, God? They weren't conscious of anything that God was saying to them, so there wasn't that open rebellion. But what was happening, they were laboring, they were, they were doing the things that they were meant to do, they were following the commands that God had done, although they weren't doing it properly, which we, we'll go into a little bit more detail as we move on, then, on with this. But it wasn't like they were trying to throw off this yoke. You know, oh, you know, I don't want to serve you, God. It wasn't like they were trying to get rid of that yoke and not be loyal to God. But they were doing all the outward acts of what they were meant to do as the people of God. They were offering sacrifices. They were doing some giving. But God was actually looking to the heart of these people at the time. And what he was noticing was this, that outwardly everything they did seemed to show that somehow they, they had this love for God, but inwardly their hearts were so far from him. So they were just doing this mechanical response to what God wanted, do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, yeah, we'll go along, we'll go to the temple, we'll offer our sacrifices, we'll do some gifts, whatever it might be. Um, I don't know, we might pray, the priests will carry out what they're meant to do, but, but beneath all of that, it was all about obeying the law. It was about doing the right thing. It was about having this outward sign that we are worshipping God, but inside they really weren't. They hadn't given themselves to do this. And if we put that towards the, the day that we're in, um, in Timothy, it talks about how people can have this godliness, the power of godliness, or this seemingly outward appearance that they are godly people, but they are lacking the power of what God has really done in their life. And what happens is that people can go, well, yeah, we can obey the letter of the law, but when you start to think about it, this is just an awkward representation of what God was really after. Everything about the law is enhanced in the spirit. The obedience that we have in the spirit of God goes far beyond the letter of the law. So what had happened here is that these people that God was talking to had broken away from what God really wanted, which was this close communion with God. 
I want you to be close with me. And, and the forefathers of the faith, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, those people, as you see how they interacted with God, there's this personal relationship with them. One that ended up in, in obedience to their God because they knew what it was to be actually in communion with God. But what had happened is as they come to this time, all of a sudden, it had come down to the triviality, the mechanical observance. But there was no reference to character in their life. In other words, on their outward appearance, they could do everything right, but the character was deeply flawed. There was something about who they were that wasn't changing. And the reason that we would see throughout Malachi is one of the reasons is this, that those who were in the temple of God never really carried out their service the way they should. They were living as those who walk in the knowledge of God and, and as they should be as messengers of God to the people to let them know the will of God, but they were not living in it. The priests at the time basically were, were, were doing the bare minimum. They were accepting the sacrifices from the people that were lame and, and uh, blind and, and unholy to God and saying that is actually acceptable to him. What it seems like they were doing, as one commentator said, was if, if there was no money in it, they wouldn't do it. So if there was no money in lighting the fire for the, for the altar, not happening. It got so bad that God said, actually, I'd rather you just close the doors of the temple. I'd rather that you just right now shut church down, basically. Because everything that is happening is so far from what I'm actually asking for. There is literally no communion with me. The true conception or, of what God was meant to be was being corrupted by the way the priests were, were acting. In fact, if you link it with Nehemiah, as I, as I said last week, those two books around the same time, speaking to the same condition, there's a case of a priest that married the daughter of someone who was so opposed to the word of God and Nehemiah chased him away. He said, what is going on? Instead of keeping of the way, the priests had departed from the way. The messengers of God decided that it was actually okay for you to be a substandard worshipper of God. It's okay to be substandard. It's all right to bring a lame offering. It's all right not to give to him the way you should. It's all right for you to live however you want and not be obedient to the word. But you should know it. Fill yourself with knowledge. Fill yourself with understanding. But hey, look at us. We don't do it. We know all about it. And we have pride in that, the way that we do it. And so they were proclaiming the message that the priests at the time of, you know, just like a ritual thing, a ceremonial thing. As I said before, everything is that outward and mechanical service. And let's Let's say that's complete. Your worshipping God is complete. So it's no, no wonder that when God brings through the prophet's mouth a message saying, guys, you're not understanding me. First of all, you don't even know that I've loved you. How can you even respond to me in the right way if you don't believe that I love you? 
We talked about that a little bit last week and how I, I was talking that Jesus came to reveal the Father. There's this crazy image that people had of God that he was just this monster, really, of punishment and, you know, keeping the laws and that. But God said, I actually haven't changed. I've always been a God of love. I've always been a God of compassion. But you cannot see it. Jesus came to the world to reveal that to us. This is how God really is. So there was a corruption in the way that people viewed God, and firstly, they didn't even think he loved him, but, but with all of that, it's no wonder that the people just said, what are you talking about, God? What do you mean, God? We're doing everything. And they would not take any responsibility for what was happening, for the way that, that they were drifting away from God, but in fact, they didn't even know that they were drifting away. They just were doing it. So how does this speak to us today? No doubt you're sitting there and it's actually pretty obvious how God is speaking. But I would say that if you look at the churches today, the organisations that we have, it's almost as though they're the most complete they've ever been. They, they're run well, they're structured well in so many different ways. Everything seems to be perfect. There's an outward and mechanical way of doing church sometimes that we enter into. Now, is 2 Timothy 3 up there, Joe? In there. Can we put that up, please? I want you to read through this as I read through it as well. And just see if you can apply it to the age that we're in. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They have no self-control. Are we talking about Facebook here? They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The form of godliness is what it says in another version. <laughs> but it is though there is this, this outward thing, the things that seem to be religious, yet no power in the life of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. And when it talks about this, the, the word in there talks about a formation there's no formation of character that is happening. There's this outward knowledge. In fact, you'd say, wow, they're really orthodox. They know the truth. They know the word. They, you know, they've got a great constitution for their church. There's thousands who would say, yep, there's good reason to belong to the church. I love it. I love the music. I love the friendship. I love whatever it might be. There's, there's great reason. But there's no transformative power that is actually working in their life. So you get Christians who, who, would, who would consider that I come to church and I praise and worship God and as soon as I walk out, 
or even before I walk in, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's hatred in my heart. But that doesn't matter because you know what? I know the Word of God really, really, really well. There's a good reason to be a Christian. There's a good reason for me to show my obedience to God outwardly, but inside, I'm actually not really here. I'm not really connected into the purpose of God. I come along to fulfill my duty. In fact, really what you do as a Christian sometimes enter back into the law. Let me explain it to you. Grace that we are in as Christians comes like this through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us the perfect sacrifice that we might be forgiven of sin. That's a new covenant start. The old covenant was like this. God was married to the people. Now you will be kept as long as there was this outward law that was obeyed. You can obey the law um, and that relationship would stay fairly well grounded and and how i'm going to deal with you guys is this i'm going to write the law in tablets of stone i'm going to give you priests that can keep giving you the law i'm going to make sure that you remember the law in in other words you're going to be so filled with this law of god um, that i want you to obey it and then all will be well with you it's like that it's sort of this outward keeping of 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 law of things that are right and wrong. But the new covenant through Jesus Christ, as I just explained, it started with his death and resurrection is this, that we as Christians are not like a wife, although we understand the church is the bride of Christ, but it moves from that relationship to this, the relationship of a new birth. In other words... It's not about an outward trying to keep, but it's a change of who we are, our identity, our character, and everything about us. God's word is no longer just written in tablets of stone. Where does God write his word now? On our heart, exactly. In our mind, on our heart. In fact, there's this inward witness, which is the power that is being talked about in that book of Timothy, that that outwardly we could obey and do all those sorts of things, but this is where the transformation takes place. The Holy Spirit has now captured our hearts if we believe in him, and the word of God is now not written in tablets of stone, but is written on our heart. What does that mean? Before... I had to obey the law, which wasn't possible, because the law gave me a requirement, okay? Here is your requirement. And it demands obedience, doesn't it? It's a demanding obedience. You will obey, and all will be well with you. And we could think, okay, so now we as Christians are in this period of grace and so we don't have to worry so much about whether we do right or wrong because Jesus died for us and we are forgiven of every sin. So therefore we can live however we want. Grace never demands obedience to the law. 
God never says to you now, you must obey the law. What he's done is written the law of God in your heart. And when we fully understand grace, it doesn't demand our obedience. What it does is provokes our obedience. It promotes our obedience and it empowers us to obey Jesus Christ, not because we have to, but because the love of God grows in our heart and the power of the Holy Spirit works on our character and on our lives in a way that is not possible without it. Inside of us is this power now that resides, and this is why Paul's saying to Timothy, watch out, there's going to be people in the last days that, that are saying we are godly, yet there is no transformative power which is of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in our lives that is evident at all. It's empty religion. You see, our obedience isn't coming because we have to obey. It's suddenly this joy because we understand the first thing that, that the, the Jewish people were accused of, you say, you have not loved me. But a person born under the grace of God, born again, understands that God loves them because how? No greater love than this that a man lays down his life for a friend. And those who are truly born again understand that. And they're looking and they're saying, I cannot believe it, God, that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for me. How can I ever possibly live without you and live against you anymore? That while I was a sinner, you died for me, and now I am free under the, the grace of your, your cleansing blood. It has washed me as white as snow. And from that, there's this power that comes out that works in our life, that we don't need to struggle, we don't need to strive, we just need to do what God said to those Jews back then. He said, come close to me and I will come close to you. And I'm afraid that sometimes we forget that and it's like, well, I'm just going to drift away from you, God, and, and we wonder what's going on in our life. You see... Grace did not ever lower the standard of obedience at all. It actually lifted the standard of obedience. But in doing so, what it did was allowed us to live that life. Why do you think Jesus said those things when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount? You know, you're saying don't commit adultery. I'm saying don't lust after a woman. You say don't murder. I'm saying don't hate. Jesus wasn't saying that now I'm going to make this law harder for you and if you don't obey that law, then all of a sudden you're unsaved and you're going to hell. What he said was this, that once you understand the new birth that I'm going to be providing for you when I die on the cross, you will look back at this message and you will go, I get it. I get it. Because being that person under the, the rules and requirements is the very minimum, but I can do those things. I cannot commit adultery on my wife, but in the meantime, watch all the porn I want and lust after women, and we feel that's okay because I've obeyed the law. The law just says don't commit adultery. Well, I haven't done that. You know, I know I haven't murdered that guy, but gee, I hate him. I hate that woman at work. I really, really hate her. I hate everything about her. Whenever I think about her, I think bad thoughts. But I haven't murdered her, so that's actually okay. But Jesus says, you're going to look back and when the power of the Holy Spirit transforms your heart, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I can't even hate. 
not because you're not allowed to hate, but because somehow the power of God has now transformed your life that you are not wanting to hate anymore. You understand God's love and you are moving in that love. So grace actually lifts obedience to the law without ever doing it. Why? Because Jesus said this, this is the new command, love one another. If you do that, you're going to fulfill every part of the law. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Is that there, Joe? No? <laughs> Crazy, what happened? It is there. Hallelujah. Was there one before that? Is that what confused you? We'll go back to that one. Look at this. Guys, if you're wondering how can I obey God... Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to the, show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you. Look at the next words, please, and consider them carefully. If you are struggling with how do I obey God, listen to this, that we must understand that comes from him. First of all, he gives you the desire to do what pleases him. There's something outside of you that's actually inside of you, the Holy Spirit, that when you commune with God, when you get close to him, you will find that you change. Your heart changes. And you suddenly have this desire to do what pleases God. All those things that you found hard in serving him, suddenly become this joy to do. Because not only the desire comes, but what comes with it? The power to do what pleases him. All from him. Can we go back to that verse, Joe, that I had before, the, the Romans verse? And this is the truth that we need to understand. As Paul's writing here, obviously, to the Jews... And they're boasting in their outward obedience to God. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is what a change of heart produced how by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Wow. And so what God is giving us as we listen to these words from the prophet is showing us that there's an invitation into the divine light of Christ. Not to just save me from a mere correctness of view, in other words, I know everything, I know the right way to think. To save me from the curiosity of knowing for the sake of knowing only, you know, where, where people have so much knowledge about Jesus, but they're the meanest, meanest customer you ever met. But he has somehow changed my character, my true heart within. And that's the invitation that he gives out today. Run towards him. Run towards the light. Receive that change of heart. Receive the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to give you both the desire and the power to do what is right for him.
Father God, I just want to thank you for your goodness. Lord, your word, as we looked at what it said in Timothy about how the world is, Lord, let us not be that person. But Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that every single one of us would know the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. Lord, that we would not have this form of godliness without the power, but there would be this burning light, this white hot fire of the Holy Spirit working in each heart of the people that are here today. In Jesus' mighty name. Now it may be that you have never ever asked Christ into your life. You're struggling with life. You actually struggle with right and wrong. And you're trying to actually fix everything before you come to Jesus. I just want to give you an invitation this morning to say you can't do it yourself first of all. But you want to change. You want to be different. You want your heart to be changed. This morning I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray with me and ask Christ into your life. And that's where it begins, that new birth in Him. If that's you this morning, i just get you to pray with me as I pray now and just ask Him in. The cross was the place you were saved. Jesus died for you. If that's you this morning, just pray with me. Talk to a friend afterwards. Say, I prayed with that guy at the front. Or you can come up the front and see me after everyone's walking out. Say, I prayed with you. And we'll just talk about it. This is your first step. Just invite Christ in. If that's you this morning, just pray with me now. Father God, I'm so sorry that I've been trying so hard to be good without you. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sin and set me free. This morning, Father, I just pray that you'll just come into my heart, set me free so that I can live for you. I believe Jesus died for me, that he was risen again so that I might live eternally with you. From this day on, I want to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. So please, if you want prayer for anything, come up the front. Maybe you've even been struggling with, I can't do this. I'm a Christian, but I seem to be struggling all the time. Why don't you come up the front? We'll just pray for the Holy Spirit to just fill you. Pray that the baptism of the Holy Spirit just come upon you, that you're just filled with His power, that you feel that desire start to burn within you. Perhaps that's you this morning. Just come up and we'll pray for you. If you want prayer for healing, if you want just prayer for your family, or if you just feel this funny urge inside of you and you're just like, I just need to go up for prayer, um, come forward. Don't ignore it. Just come forward. You know, whoever that is, your stomach feels a bit funny and tight. Um, and it's not your abs, it's something inside. <laughs> Please come up and we'll just pray with you and let God speak to you.